0: And welcome to Worst Bestsellers, where we read about the original tiny house hunters so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read The Boxcar Children by Gertrude Chandler Warner and The Boxcar Children number 38, The Mystery of the Purple Pool. Joining us to discuss these uh, juvenile mysteries is Katie Schenkel, writer of the comic Moonlighters, who would like to have a pink cup. Hello, Katie. Hi also welcome back Kate how was how was your comment
1: uh the comment was amazing I cried for the entire thing (laughs) I was everything I hoped for we won't talk about the Tony Awards ever we will (laughs) never talk about the Tony Awards again and the American Theater Wing knows why (laughs) they know what they did they do fucking know what they did those assholes (laughs) i'm so mad (laughs) (laughs) sorry okay we're not talking about that let's just
0: let's just go find a boxcar in the woods to sit in and calm down and
2: um i've heard they're very easy to find they're just lying
0: around (laughs) everywhere um also thanks again to becca for filling in while kate was off on her comment uh and now we are continuing flashback summer with kate back in the saddle of the boxcar I'm mixing up all these series now.
1: <laughs> that would have been funnier if we were doing the horse books.
0: I know. You weren't here for the horse books, though. We had a. I
1: felt like I was in my heart. <laughs> I feel like there
2: has to been multiple horse book series, so you could probably find a way to use
0: that again.
2: I, I feel like there can't just be one 90s era book about girls and horses.
0: There's not, yeah, We so we did Saddle Club and someone tweeted at us to tell us about this other one that's only about a horse summer camp specifically, which I think is called the Horse Crazy series, Maybe something very generic sounding, um, and then there's also the Black Stallion series, where uh, apparently, eventually, they meet aliens, which is not a direction I ever thought the what? Black Stallion series... I know. <laughs> So anyway, we do have more horse grunts to cover, so we'll save these horse puns. But Boxcar Children uh, was, you know, I I definitely read the first one, and I read some of the earlier ones. This is a wild series, because the first one was written in 1924, and then touched up and made slightly less creepy in the 40s. And the original author wrote um, the first 19 of them. But there's over a hundred now, and they've just been picked up by ghostwriters, and the kids don't really age, but the times change slightly. It's like
2: The Simpsons, but less (laughs) self-aware. Like, I mean, in some ways, it's also like the Babysitter's Club, where they were, like, where they only moved up a grade once, and then they just stopped.
0: Yeah, but at least at the Babysitter's Club, it's like they started in the 80s, so... You know, technology change and things, but at least when they started, they had, like, phones and stuff. And this is, like, <laughs> we were Depression-era hobo children, and now <laughs> now it's 1994.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I should say that, like, it, it was very much fate when, uh, when you two approached me to do this specific episode, because I, too, read the first... Uh, the first book as a kid, and as far as I remember, <laughs> it was actually uh, it was at my my oma's house, my mom's mom. Oh. And I'm pretty I called sure my she... grandma
0: oma too. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah. Shout out Her... to all the omas listening. Yeah, all
2: the German all the German Americans out there with omas. <laughs> um, but uh, she had uh, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that she had given me uh, the version that my mom had read in like 19, probably 1960, but it looked like a very old version of, of uh, the series. So I, I specifically remember reading that one. And then uh, as we get to the, the ending of the book kind of made me lose, have me lose all interest in any other, (laughs) in any other stories. Uh, but um, but I specifically remember that one. So when you when you came to me, I was like, Oh, good! I've already read one of them. I can I can <laughs> totally do this episode.
0: Yes, I I love the first one as a kid, and then uh, I felt very betrayed once they no longer were boxcar children. Yeah, I mean yeah. they they had it in spoilers, their...
2: Spoilers! Spoilers! We're gonna yeah. we're gonna stop
1: the <laughs> the podcast right now to go
2: read this book before we talked
1: about it and I like I had the opposite reaction which I think Renata and I have talked about before how you were like a little house on the prairie kid and I was a name a mystery solver and I read their books kid where I read a bunch of the later books where they solve mysteries and then went back to read the first one and was like what is this bullshit there's no mystery in this they're just playing house in a boxcar this Uh, is ridiculous yeah
2: I didn't I didn't actually, I don't think I ever read Little House of the Prairie, but I did read, like, oh, what is it? The, the, one of the ones where they, where they hide out the museum and, oh, like.
0: Oh, um, Mixed of, of Basil, Basil Lee Frankweiler.
2: Yeah, and and those kind of books. So, like, oh, that yeah. was what I was sold on. Um, I was like, if I wanted to read Little Orphan Annie, I would just, like, go read the, po- well, no, the poem is nothing like the book. But, you know, like, I would go watch, like, Annie the Musical. If I wanted to see like a poor child get adopted by by a rich man,
0: (laughs) yeah, I I don't. I wish they never got adopted. I wish they lived in a boxcar forever. (laughs) But they did. I
2: also I also like I completely forgot when when uh, reading this again for this podcast, I f- completely forgot that the boxcar was stationary. For some reason, I also thought they were riding the rails, which would have made would have made for way, way better, like, extra books. So I can appreciate why they had it end where it did. And I don't think that they were planning to actually have it be a series until it actually got popular in the 40s. Like, that seems to be... Like, the timeline seems mm-hmm. to line up. But at the same time, I totally understand... I totally understand why they didn't have like the kids go back into the woods because there's only so much you can do in like a specific spot in vaguely right. New England. I don't know if they ever explain exactly where the children are.
1: Uh, Silver in the- Silver City.
2: City.
1: He specifically says Massachusetts. Oh, right. So which like I... ba- guessed, because he said, when he said, oh, it'll take us a little bit more than four hours to get to New York, I was like, they're in Massachusetts. Then, <laughs> How long it takes to get to New York from here in a car? Um, and then he did specify later, I was going to wow the podcast listening audience with my knowledge that they were in Massachusetts, and then he had to go and, and actually say it, so now it's not that impressive.
2: So you can tell us if they get the the vague, woodsy, wilderness area correct in terms of like your your region of the united states
1: i mean someone could in theory i'm an indoors kid (laughs) (laughs) the boxcar
0: children were on walden pond
2: (laughs) i mean it's also it was also written nearly i mean edging into like 100 years ago so i'm assuming that the terrain is slightly different from than it was in like the 20s
0: yeah it's probably just been turned into a subdivision by now
2: so, yeah,
0: and that boxcar is somebody's tiny house. <laughs> oh, All right. So we've uh, I guess we can just dig into the plot, actually, of the first boxcar children, although we've pretty much given it away. It's about four kids who live in a boxcar in the woods and then get adopted. That's
1: yeah, it, it, uh, it <laughs> starts out. With the four kids are like looking at a bakery and talking about how great all the food looks and the baker's wife hears them and they come in and buy food from her with money and she's mad that they have money because she hates children and wants a reason to kick them out until they offer to work for her if she lets them sleep on the floor and on the benches in the bakery overnight and she's super into free labor so she's like okay like I hate kids but I love indentured servants so okay Mm -hmm. Um, and as they're going to sleep, the two older children, Henry and Jesse, Henry is 14 and Jesse is 12, Mm -hmm. I believe. Yep. They hear the baker's wife saying to the baker, like, well, we'll keep those older three kids as indentured servants, but we're sending the littlest boy, Benny, who's six into care. And they freak out. So they run away from the bakery to go hide from the baker at which point we discover that their parents are dead, and they're supposed to go live with their grandfather, but they heard some gossip that he's mean, so they don't want to go there. Yes,
0: I I want to be clear: the Baker's life never uses the phrase indentured servant, but that's very much what she's implying, and it's like oh no, I- it
2: it is directly out of like a roll doll adult. Like, character, or I'm trying to think what, like, or any, like, fairy tale, evil stepmother. Like, I'm I'm specifically thinking, like, Hansel and Gretel in terms of just, in terms of just, I don't like children, but I will totally use them for my benefit.
0: Yeah. She
1: explicitly says, like, I'll keep the older ones because they'll work. Exactly, I need children to work, so I'll keep the older ones, but the little one, he can't work good.
0: Which jokes on her, because Benny's very hardworking. They all are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one other weird thing I just want to highlight with the bakery scene is there children on their own looking at this bakery, and they're like, "Ooh, cake!" And then they are like, "No, bread is healthier. We'll get bread." And they do.
2: Yeah. Um, the other thing. Oh, the other thing that immediately connected uh, me with the baker's wife, who honestly is only in this scene, but she reminded me so much of like. Petunia Dursley. Yes. in terms of again yes. it's but again it's it's Rowling it's Rowling like pulling from Roll Doll characters because she does that a lot in like the early books but in terms of like these strange children I immediately dislike them and have no like instinct to help them as an adult seeing small children without parents because apparently all my like good-natured Common sense is out the window as as a person in this book.
0: <laughs> Pretty much,
2: <laughs> um, yeah. I I think this might be a good time to also point out and that the dialogue in this book is bonkers. Yeah, <laughs> it is the and I think a lot of it comes down to the lack of contractions in all of the dialogue. Uh, it is it's really noticeable that they don't use like "can't" isn't, you know. Mm. Like, there's so many ways that they could have sounded like normal people, and instead they sound like children who's try like robots trying to sound like children.
0: They absolutely do. Uh, in my notes, I said pod people, but same. Uh, and Gertrude Chandler-Winner was a school teacher who wrote this as kind of an educational... Um, kind of in, in the vein of Dr. Seuss who was like, oh, all these stories for kids, like, they aren't fun uh, so I'll make this fun but easy to read and it's a limited vocabulary uh, there's only 600 words in it and, y- you know, they're used a lot, some of those 600 <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, milk is, is thrown around a lot <laughs> yeah, um, this book
0: is 10% milk <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, it, it's funny, I was so mad I couldn't find I couldn't find a good source for it, but I would have sworn that I saw someone uh, fairly recently talk about uh, fun with Dick and Jane in terms of like, oh, they thought that by making it really simple they'd make it easier for kids to read, but it might have actually stunted kids reading levels for Americans. Mm. so but again, I could not find any like specific, specific articles or anything on this but i i do find it amazing that you know we we see kids reading reading more like better written more advanced stuff now and so maybe if we stopped assuming that kids couldn't can't jump to like to a higher reading level we could have actually gotten them reading (laughs) a little better than this yeah Uh, which, which i i feel like the the later books kind of picked up on because they do get a little better in terms of in terms of the dialogue
0: yeah I'm not an early childhood reading expert but I I know some of the philosophy is you want a mix for kids of things that are like above their grade level that are a struggle for them to read and how they'll pick up new vocabulary and then some things that are very easy for them to read to help them build confidence so I could this could be a confidence builder for sure um, but, again, if you're only giving kids a diet of, like, Dick and Jane and, like, very limited vocabulary books,
1: yeah, I would I would buy that that's not great. Yeah.
2: I feel you like know, we used to
1: – the rule that we used to have, and this was, like, seven years ago, so God knows, almost eight years ago now, maybe, um, how things have changed, is to have a kid read the first page of the book and – put their finger down for every word they don't know. And if they get over five, that's too hard. But if it's five or below, that's good. Cause there should be words. They don't know that they have to look up, but they should also be able to read a whole page without having to stop every other word to go look a word up.
2: It's not to, not to plug my own industry. Please but do. It, <laughs> It's, it's interesting. I'm wondering how with, uh, with the more popularity of kids' graphic novels coming out, how that's going to affect things, because it is easier for kids to read comic forms in terms of there's very little to no narration, but it also means that you could get them reading more advanced dialogue, but then they don't get hung up on, on reading just blocks and blocks of text. So that might be interesting. I'd be really interested to see how teachers uh, see that and what uh, and what studies come out of that, because it's, again, I mean, like, I like the genre, I write in it, uh, I write for kids in it. So it, I'm, I'm hoping that there's, like, a place for, for those kinds of books uh, more and more in, uh, in children's bookshelves for that, for, in terms of educational reasons.
1: Well, I know they're just like just recently, right? There was a study that came out that said that like library circulation of kids' graphic novels is yeah, I think like, was ast- like this week, yeah, astoundingly high, yeah. Um, and by the way, there have been more-
0: there have been graphic novel adaptations of the Boxcar Children that I have not read.
1: I I
2: saw someone mention them on Twitter as I was as I was. I didn't live tweet this as I was reading it, but I did make, I had some comments about, <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> because, um, and someone had said, apparently they didn't realize the books were bad until they read the graphic novels. And then they realized, so I'm wondering if maybe just some of the dialogue, especially in these early books really didn't work in graphic novel form because it's, they stuck out in terms of sounding like robots so it'd be interesting to to check some of those out and and see if if any of it made more sense in the jump to graphic
1: novel. Yeah. Let's zoom through the rest of the plot of this one, uh, such <laughs> as it were. Uh, so running away from the baker and the baker's wife, the kids they go into spend the woods. <laughs> <laughs> um, they do, they do actually do that I was going to talk about the night they spent on the farm first But I can't uh, overlook that joke So yes, they do go into the woods <laughs> and... Into the woods they go <laughs> <laughs> uh, They find a, um, a boxcar, surprise uh, A little bit deep further into the forest And it's just about to rain So they seek shelter in this boxcar and they find that it's nice and dry and apparently no animals are living in it. Um, (laughs) So they decide they're going to make it their home. Like you do when it's 1924 and you're an orphan Mm -hmm. and they make beds out of pine needles and like spruce it up. And Henry, the oldest boy who's 14 decides he's going to go into town and look for work. And while he's gone, a dog comes by, and they help him get a thorn out of his paw, and, and he then they becomes... just
2: decide, Yeah, they just decide that he's... That, like, oh, he's our dog now. hmm yes. I don't think they look for tags, because I, I thought, like, oh, maybe they look for tags, and they just decide he's a stray, but I don't even think they do that. They just go, like, well, this is our dog now, just like this is our home. Were there dog tags in, like, 1924?
1: <laughs> I gotta I gotta think that they had some kind of collar or something, right? Probably. I don't know anything about dogs. Or nineteen twenty four. Same.
0: <laughs> Cause I mean later well we'll get to it. Like there's more about the dog later, but it didn't they didn't mention that I don't think.
1: Yeah. So Henry ends up getting work for this guy, Dr. Moore, where he, like, cuts his lawn, and he cuts it better than any other kid did, and he's, like, super attentive and good at free – well, I guess not free labor, but labor, manual labor. So he gives him a dollar and some cookies and tells him he can come back the next day and – this this kinda goes on for a while. Henry goes and works for this guy and meanwhile the girls and Benny um look in the woods for things to make their boxcar more like a home. They go to a dump and find like dishes and stuff that they clean in the river. And
0: it's like very like
1: Montessori.
0: Like we're doing the dishes and we're displaying them in a pleasing fashion on our shelf that we made. And this, to me, was, like, the ultimate, most pleasing part of the book, was, like, their little HGTV (laughs) boxcar edition, setting up their house. (laughs) Loved it. Uh, Also, one thing that's been happening while Henry's going into town is he's hearing and seeing flyers for, like, wealthy gentleman W.H. Alden (laughs) is looking for four children,
1: uh, his
0: grandchildren, cash reward. And so he's like, oh, no, like, our mean grandfather's looking for us, so the cash reward better better not respond to that.
1: Uh so Henry keeps like going to work and the Dr. Moore and his housekeeper keep giving him like more stuff. So it's very obvious to an adult reader that they know what's going on and are like, "Oh yeah, one day they're like, "Oh, like we need to pick cherries. If you happen to know any other hard-working children who need money and food, feel free to tell them to come with you to pick cherries." Uh so they do. I also Damn. I I'm so frustrated
2: by the fact that these children were obviously they they wrote these children not to lie at all. So all he could have said was like this is my friend Violet. She like just to make it so that it's not like these are my three siblings that are all the same gender and age as the kids that are look that you're looking for this is not suspicious at all they were all coming at the same time like if they had, if he had brought one and said this is a friend of mine right it's like but we can't have the children lying
0: right so- all they did was instead of all four of them walking together they walked two by two with a little pause so it doesn't look like there's four children all together but then they still told the doctor, like, "Oh, these are my siblings." Right, totally. Like, yeah. I'm 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 agreeing. It's not very good subterfuge yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> uh,
1: ah, so they find out, or Henry finds out that Mr. Alden runs a field day every day every year. Well,
0: because um, the doctor specifically invites him and was like, "You should do this. He'd be
1: really good at it." And he has a field day every year where people can just, like, run races and shit, including a free-for-all where anybody can run. Sometimes even fat people win it. Yeah. They make a point of saying in the text. Um, but not this year. No, because Henry wins. Just, like, for funsies, it seems like. Like, at first he's like, oh, like, I love running. And then he's like, oh, I wonder how fast I can run. Apparently I can run fast enough to beat everyone else so he shakes hands with his own grandfather without realizing it and gets like a silver cup and 25 bucks and is super excited, but he gives them a fake name because he's afraid that they'll find out that he's one of the missing kids. If he gives his real name, Mm -hmm. um, well specifically he gave his first and middle name because technically
2: that's not a lie. That is part of
1: his name.
2: That's the closest thing he gets to lying and I'm really I'm just like just lie. it's fine. you're hiding from like <laughs> what who you think is an evil old man. you can God will forgive you.
0: it's they're fine. so okay this is edited out in the more recent edition even when they're attending uh, to their box car they also dam up a river to build a swimming pool for themselves because all like orphan children are great at hydroelectric engineering obviously
2: oh that was actually that was definitely
0: part of the kindle the well no the dam is in it but originally they're like "Ooh, it's the sabbath maybe we shouldn't be doing this oh and and jesse's like no because this will help us become clean which is a virtue so it's okay to build a dam on a sunday (laughs) okay Uh, we'll post some articles. I dug up some articles that are amazing, like comparing the older edition to the newer one. And that was, that was one of my favorite changes. And I'm just really quickly gonna show like read a little bit about my other one because it's about the field day. And I had originally highlighted this line in the edition that I read because it's weird. And so here's what it is in the current edition. Now, J.H. Alden liked boys. He liked to see them running and jumping and playing. So each year, with three other rich men, he gave a field day to the town of Silver City. Now, that's like a little weird. But here's the original version. If he had a weakness, it was for healthy boys. Boys running without their hats, (laughs) boys jumping, boys throwing rings, boys swimming, boys vaulting with a long pole.
2: (laughs) So... Is anybody else, at least for the for, at least for the updated nineteen forties version, is anybody else getting a uh oh uh, what um I'm trying to fish odor, Mr. Fish odor from Bob's Burgers. Oh Box my God! Burger yes, spot. yes. it's <laughs> like this eccentric eccentric rich man who is who <laughs> who could be a pervert, but also is just like really into like making poor people do like <laughs> do activities for his and his three rich friends amusement
0: absolutely oh my god yes absolutely <laughs> headcanon accepted <laughs> <laughs> anyway so that's the grandpa he really likes healthy boys it's fine <laughs> it, there
2: there so. are a few other there are a few other things later down the line at least in this first book and again in the in the second book we're gonna read which is literally 70 years later uh the grandfather is is way less like weirdly like overly friendly like there's there's some overly um familiar mm-hmm. with the children really early on um yeah, there's some strange, like... Yeah, this is how an, a, a man of the community would act around children he's just met. Like, strange children. This is totally a... This is totally not a red flag for, like, bad behavior.
0: I feel like the line between the boxcar children and the flowers in the attic is such a thin line. Um,
2: <laughs> I didn't... So, I didn't want to say anything. So, we... I, the, but, like... Anybody else getting weird vibes from from Henry and Jesse because yes. it's a little like the, the 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 way that they fit into like the mother and father role which I get in terms of like in terms of having to be like parents for their younger siblings like I get that but there's also that weird like their dynamic is super red flag um we it's weird
0: Flowers in the attic is literally just if the grandfather locked the door of the box car <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, <laughs> That's all. <And> <laughs> so anyway, <yeah>. um, <laughs> there's also something else I started to notice too. Was that like this is one of many quartet of siblings in in like the 20th century kids lit, and like with the Narnia books, these also the Power Pack from Marvel, where they're like very, they're like their own little family group without adults. And they go off and have adventures and it's, it's an older boy and an older and a younger boy and an older girl and a younger girl, which uh, again, it's Flowers in the attic. Yeah. So there's <laughs> this very like, and like I said, like the, the other examples I just gave are slightly less connected to flowers in the attic in terms of how the older <laughs> kids react. But it is, it's just one of those things where I'm like, this is a very specific trope. Um, and almost, I also, like, almost lumped in a series of unfortunate events in this, even though it's obviously three kids, and it feels like more of a reaction to all of those tropes than it is, like, part of the trope. Yeah. But yeah, it, this was definitely, I feel like this was a very early example of the four children with no uh,
1: parental supervision go off and have adventures. So I can't think of any of the titles now, but there were a lot of books around the original, like, 1924 publication date that were very similar to this as well, Um, less with the mystery solving and more with the, like, four plucky orphan siblings are... On adventures together, but they're like nice adventures that are all morality tales, and they're good Christian siblings. And I'm completely blanking on the names of like all of these series right now. They uh, have but we sort used of have-
0: weird sounding, what like like all in the the. We we can maybe link link some up and link to them, but it definitely was a thing.
1: Yeah, um, but just to to breeze through the rest of this one, uh So eventually, after all this time living in the boxcar, everything's going fine, and then Violet gets very sick, so Henry tells Dr. Moore, who takes all the kids back to his house, and he admits to them that he knew the entire time that they were living in a boxcar, but they seemed okay, so he just kind of rolled with it, which... I am a huge advocate of giving kids in middle grade and young adult agency. Like, it drives me crazy when my adult friends who read YA and middle grade books are like, where are the parents in all of this? Well, they're not there because it's a book about the kids. Like, that's how these things work. Um they're, they're not for you, they're for the kids. But also, you need to put in, like, a modicum of effort to make it sensible that the adults are not involved in this.
0: I mean, all I can think is that in 1924, it was like, yeah, like, I, I mean, I do, well, even 1924, like, if in the 30s, I feel like there were a lot of, like, riding the rails and just like, man, everything's fucked, just go to California, try to find a work, I don't know. Uh... But then when the, for this to be the updated version, for this to still endure in this form, it's real weird.
1: Yeah, especially like, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I saw that you were like lying on beds of pine needles and it was adorable. You have beds in your house that you're clearly willing to let these children sleep in. like, there's a line that this really seemed to cross where it like really didn't make sense to me that, especially because it's like, cold enough that the water is cold enough to... I don't know.
0: Yeah. Uh, We'll link to this article that I really like by Gia Tolentino about this as kind of like a capitalist fable where, like, they're just extolling the virtue of hard work, and it's... Her take on it is that it's almost like a junior Atlas Shrug type thing of, like, (laughs) with a train. Um, But, you know, they just... They work hard, and they don't need help... Except that they obviously do, but you know what I mean Like, they're just working hard and they're happy with what they have Which is a bed of pine needles And that should be good enough for you
2: For some reason, while I was making my notes I was thinking, oh 1920, is depression era But it does make, it. it is like six years and some odd you know, whatever before the depression. So it make it does make so much more sense as a like depression fantasy of like, oh, don't worry, you've lost your home, you can just live in a boxcar in the woods and like live off the land. But then also your rich grandfather will come and rescue you, and then you can live in a big house. Um, yeah, it makes way more sense that, like that. And I'm and I'm guessing in some ways it then made more sense like in the forties to to. To a lot of kids, you know, um, but yeah, it's it's kind of strange how they how the doctor in this. Well, the doctor is a strange character in general, uh, yes. but but the fact that that he seems to be okay with just giving the kids like a few things. If he you think that like if he was snooping around their place, he could have conveniently dropped like blankets
1: or something.
2: And I mean, granted, these kids are kind of not the smartest tools in the shed when it comes <laughs> to. So they could have been like, "Oh, it must be like a forest creature who dropped," <laughs> or like, I don't know, like an angel because we're good Christian kids <laughs> um, dropped these blankets for us. Uh, yeah, it was very. It, it's it's a little too hands off in terms of um, in terms of adult adults trying to help these kids while also trying to get them to not run away because i can almost understand that but there needed to be a little more a little more no no no. i'm a doctor i need to make sure that these kids aren't living in like actual squalor for a few weeks
0: yeah exactly listen the invisible Um, hand of the market provides for the boxcar children
1: (laughs) (laughs) so just to finish this up real quick um (laughs) So while Violet is sick and they're staying with the doctor, the doctor meets with Mr. Alden and is basically like, look, I don't want your reward, but I know where your grandchildren are, but they think that you're mean. And because I know you, I know that you're not mean now. So you need to convince them that you're nice, so that they'll want to go live with you. So he like, essentially like, stays at the doctor's house as well and doesn't tell them who he is. And, like, gains all of their trust, and then Surprise announces that he's their grandfather. Or, no, Henry figures out that he's the guy who gave the cup and the reward at the road race. And...
0: Which, Which, by the way, is he, like, face-blind or something? I don't know.
1: You don't, you don't meet
0: that many people in a day, Henry. He says that he was so excited about winning
2: the cup that he wasn't even paying attention to the man's face but at the same time this is like the richest man in the area I don't know and he's so clever about so many other things that the fact that he's like where do I recognize that man from Um, yeah it's a little it feels a little more like like fictional convenience on the writers part so that they could get the tension the dramatic
1: tension to keep going for a little while longer in defense of Henry, I would 100% forget the face of a person who did that for me as well. <laughs> like, I'm thinking back to other awards that I have won, and I have not... I cannot remember <laughs> anyone's face. I There is a particular role in my company um, that there are several of across several regions of the state, and I swear to God, they're all skinny brunette ladies, and I cannot tell them apart with the exception of the one that I meet with every month. Like... They'll start talking to me, and I'll be like, yeah, sure, office gossip, and walk away and, like, have to go to my coworker, Doug. Who was that? Because mm. I don't know. And I've been working here for seven years. So, yeah, like, I, I can – that I can buy as a person who's, like, partially face-blind, but it makes you a bad detective. So for sure. with right. the rest of the series. Um, but, yeah, so they – The grandfather convinces them all that he's nice, and they're all very excited, and they go to live at his giant house, and they're super stoked, but they miss the boxcar, so the grandfather has the boxcar brought to the backyard and put there so that they can still go to the boxcar sometimes while living their new, fabulous, rich life in a giant house with their rich grandfather who loves them. The end.
0: Huzzah. Yeah. woo
2: it does so, seem like it does seem like again, I don't think that, that they were expecting to write more books, but at the same time it was super convenient that they kept that dang boxcar because the rest of the series would not make any like the titles would not make any sense. They barely do now, but at least they can get in that that oh yeah, and also the boxcar is back in the backyard. Remember that adventure we had like seventy years ago?
0: Yeah, so, at this point they are just the house children. <laughs>
1: Which isn't nearly as snappy. Nope. And they don't—they don't have a whole chapter. They don't have a babysitters club chapter, but they do have like two paragraphs in every book where, when they go out to the box car for the first time, one of them, whoever's the narrator, has like the. Flashback of like Henry remembered when they, you know, first lost their parents and they lived in the boxcar because they thought their grandfather was mean and they ran away from him. But it turned out he was nice and he brought the boxcar to their house so that they could still play in it anyway. Onto the murders. So,
0: yeah. Onto the murders?
1: <laughs> I don't think they ever solve a murder. They no, might. No, that would
2: be, t- that seems way too intense for them. Yeah. And they'd have to admit that murder exists. Right. Which I
1: don't think it does in this universe. <laughs> I mean, the later books, like, a lot of the the ones that started being published again in the 80s and 90s, and I assume that that continued to the 2000s, definitely, like, a lot of the morality angle of it kind of is shaved away to make it more of a generic mystery, which, like, obviously people who are more into that side of it, if they exist that's disappointing and they're not particularly stand out from the other mystery series of a similar type. Um, But like as a kid who read, you know, seven or eight of these a week, (laughs) um, I did like that part. Like I did not like the first 17 books or whatever it is like that did not click for me, but the like semi-modern kids solving mysteries was a genre that I was definitely into. And they were... I mean, I was reading Nancy Drew contemporary of these, but they're definitely, like, a good stepping stone for kids who are not quite ready for Nancy Drew, but are definitely into the, like, middle grade reading level of books and want a dumb series of 97 books that are all exactly the same that they can read. Yeah,
0: especially if you were growing up, like, because now there's Nancy Drew and the Clue Crew, which is that age group, but if you were growing up in the 90s, the Clue Crew had not yet been uh, written.
2: Yeah, yeah, I would say there were several of the Nancy Drew, like, 90s books that, yeah, this feels like the the next one we're going to read, or the next one we're going to talk about, uh, which was done, which was published in 94 feels like a pretty good stepping stone i would have also i mean i guess this goes into our recommendations but i would also there were some ghostwriter novels i uh that came out around that same time so if you were a fan of the pbs show ghostwriter i feel Hell like yeah that's i know i love that i was i have been on twitter just like hoping to will into existence a ghostwriter like graphic novel because i really like just because i'm like if i keep tweeting about it then someone who owns that ip will figure out how to make that happen um (laughs) because because i really feel strongly about that about that whole thing but it feels like it's very much in the next the next book we're going to read is is pure like kids solving a weird mystery that just happens to fall into her lap um in a way that this first book
1: was not. Yeah. So, so like we were saying earlier, like the books definitely take a turn after the first one into mystery solving. Uh, it appears because the first one was written in the twenties and then in the forties, they were like, Oh, this is popular. Let's turn it into a series. How can we do that? Um, and like a lot of the books that we did last summer, I don't know if you covered really any of the, of these, well, you did sweet Valley high. Um, you know, they turn into this kind of committee written, Totally generic series of books that don't need to be read in any particular order about, like, these kids solving mysteries. This particular one that we read, The Mystery of the Purple Pool, was one that I bought from the Scholastic Flyer, like, as it was published in 1994. Um, the copy that I read for this podcast is actually that same copy that I bought from the Scholastic Book Fire in 1994. I think, like, I did a book report on it and everything when I was in third grade. Precious, but like I said, I was super into the kids solve mystery sort of thing. And I guess to harken back to what I was saying earlier about the adult hands off adults in. Um, Middle grade and young adult, I do buy that their grandfather is hands off enough to let them solve these mysteries in the later books because they lived on their own in a box car. So I can absolutely see him being like, "Well, you know, yeah, like you lived on your own in a box car. You can, I can trust you to like be on your own during the day in this hotel or sightseeing in New York, which is not necessarily." <laughs> A healthy approach, but it's an approach that like, I totally believe based on the series so far. It's it's also the nineteen nineties New York,
2: and I looked it up. It was like right. It was the same year this was published that that New York was starting to get cleaned up, but it definitely would have been still the very shady New York of like the early nineties, late nineteen eighties. So that makes it even like even in today's world, in in twenty seventeen. It seems questionable to like just send kids out on their own that are like under the age of maybe like seventeen, but like at that time well, it was way. <laughs> I don't know. I I still I, found I, it pretty
1: pretty. Skeptical. I think that the the way I, and it's possible that I my thinking on this is flawed because I grew up outside New York City, uh, in New Jersey, and I think I was like fifteen when my parents were like okay we feel comfortable with you, like, taking the bus into Manhattan by yourself and hanging out with your friends. And, like, we know that you'll call if you need anything and that we trust you not to get in trouble. So it might be a proximity thing. It might be that because, like, my dad grew up in Brooklyn and my mom grew up in Newark, that they were more attuned to that sort of, to sort of the reality of what that meant than you know if somebody was reading this or writing this living outside of that area but i I
0: think what i was maybe like 16 when my parents were like yes you can fly across the country to visit kate and go into new york city with
1: her that's true yeah you were 16 so the
2: two things i'm thinking of which is fair like 15 16 okay
0: well again he's
2: 14 you, you were okay yeah he was 14 and two you didn't they were not like and here bring your 8 year old relative with you into the city And also, the thing that
0: really killed me out this book is they gain a friend who they met literally the night before he's Benny's age which is 6 and his parents are like yeah go with this 14 year old stranger boy that we just met bye
2: yeah that as well and also I don't Like, they would not have had cell phones, and I feel like that's also a major factor in terms of, like, kids having more independence today, because you at least have the option that if something happened, you can immediately, you can immediately call for help.
0: If something happens to these kids, they are just going to take over a subway car and live in it forever, and they'll be fine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, the friend threw me off. Like, that, I agree that, like, if I was the parent to a child, and they were like, oh, like, my friends are going to wander around New York by themselves, and they invited me along, and their big brother Henry, who's 14, is going to be supervising, I would be like, uh, maybe your mom's going to go with you, too. Yeah.
0: Why don't you guys just stay and play in the hotel pool? I could see that, maybe.
2: Well, the pool but is, I, full of, is is full of dye now. By that point, that's true. So no
0: choice but to go to the Empire State Building instead. Yeah,
2: there's no other. It's one or the other.
1: Those are the only two <laughs> things you can do, in New York. But I do continue to to hold that I think the grandfather, after all of the other shit that these kids have done, would be like, yeah, that's fine. And about also, those four kids in particular. Like at this point, they've solved thirty-seven other mysteries yeah. on their own
2: so i I assume that beyond the mysteries too they've done just like a ridiculous amount of things and gotten out you know alive yeah i i'm I'm assuming that like walking around new york is not the weirdest stuff that these kids have done in the in the
1: decades
2: that they've had adventures
1: (laughs) yeah but anyway so here's boxcar children number 38 mystery of the purple pool as we already implied uh, grandfather Alden has some business In New York so he decides to take The kids with him Because uh, it's raining and gross in Silver City Or Greendale or wherever the fuck They live and They're bored mm-hmm. um, So he books a suite At his favorite hotel and they all Go to New York with some very Accurate Totally random Description of like What that drive is like which just, like, seemed very, like, they're like oh, and now we're on the Henry Hudson Parkway, and to the right we see this, and to the left we see this. And I'm like, that is what you see. That is correct. Good job. You did more research on this than most fan fiction authors do when they're writing about New York. Uh,
0: I was going to say she's from Connecticut, but she's dead. This is by a ghostwriter. So yes. they're probably and from probably the area, too.
1: A ghostwriter from New York. I would not be surprised if it was, like, an in-house person at the publishing house. Which was Scholastic, which is based in New York. So,
0: um, Robin Wasserman was tweeting that she used to be an editor for uh, for Boxcar Children, which is great.
2: Yes, yeah, she was very excited about about uh, my tweeting about how weird this, especially <laughs> the first book was, and how <laughs> they sound like robots. And she was like, "My, this is seventeen years I've been waiting for this!" Right? I'm like, really? Because <laughs> I mostly just talk about how weird the dialogue is. <laughs>
0: And that book cover she tweeted was horrifying. They're like a giant bear mystery where they're like it, wearing furry bear costumes.
2: It looks like they're about to go to a grateful dead concert yes. or, or a furry convention. And I don't know which one's
0: creepier for these kids. <laughs> we'll have to read that so, one to find out.
2: Yeah. I also, I also want to say that like it, you could slap the purple pools cover onto a babysitter's club book and you could not tell the difference and that's how i should have known from the from the get-go that this was a book made in the 90s because it is such a book made from the in made by scholastic in the 1990s
1: yes so they get to the hotel with grandfather he goes to check in and it turns out their reservation has mysteriously been canceled and they can't figure out why, but there's still other suites available, so they give him a new room, and we find out that he's friends with the current manager of the hotel who was recently promoted. Um, and the assistant manager kind of helps them out and makes sure that they get checked in and everything, and... Um, And they settle in and start to like see weird things happening in the hotel. They're really excited that maybe there will be a mystery to solve, and Grandfather's like, probably not, which doesn't make sense, because 37 other times they have been out doing things and found a mystery to solve, so...
2: It, it reminds you me should a lot
1: expect of this point
2: yeah it reminds me a lot of uh miss fisher's murder mysteries in terms of like wherever she's at no matter like if she's visiting a friend or like a acquaintance is coming in at with his circus they will find a murder it will just it a murder just falls at her feet every single time to the point where they just go like oh maybe we'll see a mystery oh you we'll just have a nice day out in the country i'm like no you're gonna find a mystery You're going to find someone, a dead body, because that's how this series is. You are a magnet for this. And it's the same same thing for the boxcar children.
0: It's the secret. All they're thinking about (laughs) is mysteries, and it's calling mysteries (laughs) to them.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. It is really funny that the grandfather's like, Oh, you kids always think you're going to find a mystery. And like, yeah, that's, that's because they noticed the trend. Of it happening all the time.
1: <laughs> so, a whole bunch of weird things happen while they're at the hotel. Um, they go up to use the pool, and it's been dyed purple. They go for breakfast, and the sugar and salt have been switched at the restaurant. They, there's a whole bunch of stuff missing from people's rooms. Um,
0: stuff like the room phone, not like actual theft.
1: Yeah, like, no one's stolen their things, but, like, their room has no towels anymore, or the phone is missing, or stuff like that. Oh, the elevator stops while they're in the middle of riding it, at one point. Yeah.
2: Which is, like, the most dangerous it gets, which isn't really... I mean, I almost wish that, like, then it would have, like, j- like jittered a little bit, or, like like, dropped down, like, a couple feet just to give a little more danger, but we can't have that, because... This is the book for for children, so we can't have them actually be afraid.
0: They they were a little nervous, except that their new six year old friend Bobby knows about the emergency elevator <laughs> phone.
2: I feel like this was just all a setup so that they could teach kids about elevator safety. <laughs> like that's the only reason this this uh, this specific book was made um, <laughs> and I also like that don't worry guys I'm from Chicago I'm also I should point out that I live in Chicago now so like I live in Chicago I know how to work an elevator
1: uh, brag
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so they have a couple suspects and all these weird things happening there's somebody who's dressed in like an overcoat with sunglasses and a hat pulled down low who they keep seeing around there is a woman who's really mean and nosy. There's a maid who they hear talking outside of the hotel about how she's mad that they fired her brother, but she's going to, you know, she has a plan to, she's gonna to fix take care everything. of it.
2: Yes, and she's already um, been doing stuff to take. I mean, it's it's probably the biggest red herring in terms of all the suspects because they really set up her to sound really, really guilty.
1: Yeah. So all these things are happening, and by chance when they're walking through the lobby, the assistant manager drops a bunch of papers, and Benny, who's still learning to read 70 years later, picks one of them up and practices his reading on it and they discover that it is a letter from him to his girlfriend saying like very explicitly like so i've ruined everything at the hotel i've switched the salt and sugar i've stolen things from people's rooms i dyed the pool purple which is my favorite color and i like have done all of these things so that they will fire the current manager and make me the manager instead and then we can get married yeah. Which is a very explicit thing to put in a letter that you're it just was, carrying around.
2: Yeah, um so they confront him with it, but and he goes, "Oh, well that wasn't mine. I didn't write that." And I thought, "Oh, okay, this is a big twist. He actually didn't write it. It was it was someone forging his signature and that's going to be the big like whoever actually did this was trying to frame him and that makes sense because why would he say all of those things in in so much detail like this his big secret and then it two sentences later it's no, you know what i'm going to give up it's it was me i did it i well, guess i guess i'll just i'll just give away that i'm the villain
0: cuz here's what was the nail in his coffin is the manager's like but it's written in your favorite purple pen and pen. he's like shit yeah. you're right yes. nobody else has a purple pen around here it was me <laughs>
1: I love the idea of this 1994 hotel assistant manager writing letters writing all of his official documentation at the hotel in purple gel pen because I definitely had those purple gel pens in 1994 and it makes me happy. Yes.
2: Yeah, it's it's also like how much do you love that pen enough that your your boss knows like that that's <laughs> a right. tell.
0: That's your thing.
2: <laughs> it, it, and then you write about it in like, and this is the reason why I made it, why I made the pool, which is weird because you'd think that you would want to keep it away from like your favorite color to to make it not at all suspicious that that's what you did. But whatever. It the the logic of of him writing out exposition about his crime. Uh, in a letter just seems the strangest thing. And may I just say now that uh, the kids do not actually solve a crime in this. All of their... He is not one of the suspects that they have compiled before the letter gets dropped. It is mere coincidence that they get this letter and they they are able to stop uh, their grandfather's friend from losing her job at the hotel. So it seems just... It it's frustrating as a fan of like kids solving mysteries that like they didn't do any they they barely did anything they, and everything that they did was like unhelpful to actually solving the mystery for the majority of the book
0: they even tried to stop benny from reading the letter because that's like rude to read somebody else's letter but he's he's in too deep and he solves the mystery anyway by reading it <laughs>
1: Uh, So they find out after they get rid of this, the guy who Mr. Parker whatever the hell his name is, who's doing all of this, the assistant manager, they confront all their suspects and they find out that the maid, Lucille, when she said she was going to take care of it, what she meant was that she was going to politely go to the manager and assistant manager and plead her case for her brother getting his job back because he's so good at it. Um, the nosy, mean woman is a travel writer who is doing a feature on the hotel and needed to get information, so she was being nosy and mean about that. And then, in <laughs> of a book of completely unbelievable things, perhaps the most unbelievable to me, given my subset of interests, is that the man in the mysterious jacket and hat and sunglasses is... A famous Broadway actor who goes around like that so people don't stop him to get pictures and autographs, which they discover when they go see a show and he's the lead. And like, I don't even like fucking Audra McDonald doesn't even go around New York City wearing a trench coat, and no one thinks. I mean, if Broadway she does, it's just famous. for glamorous reasons. Yes, but, I'm, just, I'm like,
2: trying to think i'm trying to think who i mean the only person i can think of who is not even like in new york regularly now because he's doing everything for disney would be lin-manuel but even then i feel like i feel like he's done videos and stuff where he's walking down the street like it doesn't yeah, seem he, especially because once he it's the clark kit like oh he cut his hair now he looks like a completely different person
1: so yeah, he even at the height of Hamilton, which was a thing, which I I mean, I kind of understand, because I had to explain it to so many people. This is sounds so snotty, but I'm going to keep going with it anyway. Like, as Hamilton became a thing, like explaining to my friends who don't normally do theater, like, no, there aren't PR people doing these Twitters. Like, these are just people. They are just normal humans. They probably make way less money than you think they do. Once they cross the street away from that theater, no one knows who the hell they are. Like it it's not a level of fame that you would imagine. And like maybe in 1940 whatever it would have been because, you know, TV and movies were not a thing on the level that they are now where there are movie stars and TV stars and people's faces are getting in many more households than they would otherwise, but like Broadway stars are not that
2: famous. I feel like they could have fixed this easily by just going like he's a film actor who's doing a Broadway run Because those one exists, but also it would make more sense that his like face would be way more noticeable. And so it would feel like he would have to do this to do his like passion project on the stage. That would have been a really easy way for them to fix this. (laughs) This idea of like, of like, he's a Broadway star.
0: And it happens twice because on their way out, they see another person in like mysterious sunglasses, and Benny's like, "OMG, another mystery!" And then somebody asks the lady for an autograph, and they're like, "Haha, just another incognito actor. Like New York is full of."
2: <laughs> I wonder if like have they did this today? If they were going to be at like, I, I imagine the kids being at a comic con, yeah, and and then like it being a podcast star that is in the trench coat and trying to hide and trying to, like, sneak in and out because they would get hounded by, like, so many people.
1: The Hardy Boys book that we read last summer did actually take place at a Comic-Con, but it was from the 1980s, so there were no podcast stars. But that is, like, that is what I would call, like, a relative level of fame to what they try to do in the book. Like, it's just... Don't make stuff up, Gertrude Chandler-Warner's ghostwriter.
0: Uh, there's one other thing I want to dip into real quick in this book, just especially based on our discussion of the racial politics of the Saddle Club. Uh, their new friend Bobby and his family are black, which we know because the book is illustrated and they are like definitively black, unlike Carol from Saddle Club. Um, they're, but it's not actually they're not physically described in the book at all, uh, which is, I I guess, because they're illustrated. Like, we don't really describe the other kids either. There's just drawings of them because it's an illustrated book. So that seems like, you know, it didn't... They were not described in any kind of problematic way. So for the kinds of books we read, I'll call it a win.
2: Yeah, there's, there's always a weird... It always gets me very nervous when yeah when books try to describe um when kids books try to describe people of color in the narration because there are lots of creative ways that they do that. And at least here it was more like you know they're they're from Chicago, they show the picture, it's pretty definitive. You see the you see the the families like in in the illustrations more than once. Mm-hmm. Um and again, like in the in the writing for them, like they're perfectly like they seem perfectly lovely and the kids and the kids pretty smart but seems really nice and he and, and Benny get along. So if it, it felt like a nice a nice way to do that. And I think uh, we had said that like I mean i when I thought this was maybe written in the sixties or seventies when i when I first read through it and then double checked the actual data publication, I was like, oh wow, that's that's actually pretty progressive in ninety four It is progressive, but it's less like it's less impressive than if it was done like twenty or thirty years beforehand, right,
0: and it's still the kind of thing it shouldn't even be notable, but it is just because like the publishing world continues to struggle really with uh, diversity in all yeah in all ways. So, a small kudos here.
2: I also we we hadn't talked about him because he's kind of not important to the plot, but he shows up a lot. Uh, Mike, the young man that Jesse was uh, crushing on throughout this entire story.
0: Yeah, what's his deal? Because he works we- at the hotel, so you'd think he's at least eighteen. But it seems kind of like he is reciprocating Jesse's crush, but nothing happens yeah and she is twelve.
1: I didn't read it I didn't read it so much as reciprocating as like like politely humoring yeah like just the thing that i've I've seen before where like you know a young regardless of gender like a, a young teenage. Um, worker, like, notices that a younger tween or child, like, seems to have a crush on them, and is just kind to them.
2: Alright. Yeah, I I don't mind it. I honestly don't mind it either way, but it is weird that the book calls him a young man and never really explains his Like, they could have just said around... Like, even if they had said it was a, a little bit older than Henry, then that would have at least given us some context. And the illustration of him next to Jesse doesn't really, isn't really clear. So yeah, it wasn't the dynamic between him and her. Again, it would have been nice if he was just being polite and, and, you know, because he was, he was cheerful with all of the kids, but it is one of those things where like as a, as a reader of these kinds of books, I wasn't sure if anything was going to happen between them or not. And so it was weird when it just kind of ended Also, I wasn't sure if this meant that Jessie was boy crazy in all of the books, or if this was just, like, one of the random times when she actually has a crush on someone that they meet during one of their adventures.
1: Yeah, to my memory, she's not boy crazy, which is, like, why this is significant with her, like, why the family keeps teasing her about it. Because she's, like, very... I don't want to use the word proper, but, like, kind of, like, more mature and calm and, like, doesn't let things like that bother her or faze her. And it has also, though, been, like, 20 years since I read these with any (laughs) sort of regularity.
2: Yeah. But I also feel like if this was a thing, they would have, like, you would have remembered it. Because it's, I feel like when they decide to, to keep character traits for these kids, they really drive it home. So... Yeah, but I thought that that was really that was something that I thought of like oh right there are a ton of these books so is this just one of the random times when Jesse is actually crushing on a boy and we just happen to pick up that one or is this a fairly regular thing?
1: Yeah, no, it's definitely random. Their their traits are Henry is the leader, Jesse is outgoing and motherly, Violet is quiet and I believe artistic, and Benny is hungry all the time and six and illiterate
2: yeah Yeah. uh and violet uh we know really likes hemming uh tablecloths which is one of their many crafting skills um i we we touched on a little bit for that first book but um like i have a i have a graphic novel coming out next year about called the cardboard kingdom where kids in a neighborhood make cardboard costumes and my fellow creators and I have joked about how these kids are way better at crafts than we ever were because they make these like amazing costumes and it's a little bit of you know just go with like just trust the fact that these kids just happen to be all really good at crafting but they are they do not hold a candle to the kids like being able to hem their own tablecloths and and make uh, and help dogs in, veter- in like mild veterinary skills <laughs> and and being like really into picking fruit for for adults and creating shel like putting up shelving in their little mini home and creating a dam system in their <laughs> and, like and figuring out. Uh, figuring out makeshift refrigeration for milk products, uh, which is definitely a thing that they do. So it is one of those... And again, it's the the other book we read that was in the 90s definitely gets away from this to quite a degree, but it is kind of amazing how resourceful these kids are in that first book because, yeah, I don't think real children actually knew all those skills even in the 20s. I mean, yeah,
0: I, I it reminds me of like little house in the prairie and other like which is you know 75 years or so before that time but it's definitely like very old fashioned skill sets that we don't need now cuz we have youtube
1: <laughs> all right let's uh let's move on before Becca murders us for how long we drag this on for and um move into the dramatic readings
0: Let's. I'm going to start. I'm going to read When They Go Dumpster Diving in the first one. Well, Benny, we'll go exploring and look for treasures. We'll begin here at the car and look and look until we find a dump. What's a dump? Asked Benny. Oh, Benny, said Violet, you know what a dump is. Old tin cans and old dishes and bottles... "'Are old tin cans and dishes treasures?' Benny wanted to know. "'They will be treasures for us,' answered Jessie, laughing. "'And wheels?' asked Benny. "'Will there be any wheels on the dump?' "'Yes, maybe,' replied Violet. "'But cups, Benny, and plates, and maybe spoons. "'You like to drink milk out of a cup.' "'Oh, yes,' agreed Benny politely. "'But anyone could see that his mind was still on wheels.' The explorers started walking down the old rusty tracks with watch hopping along on three legs. The other paw, still tied up with Jesse's handkerchief, was held off the ground. But the dog looked very happy. He liked these kind children. They all walked along through the woods, looking this way and that. After a while, the old track came out into the sun, and the explorers found that they were on top of a hill. They could look down and see the town below them. Henry is down there, said Jesse. Benny was walking along behind his two sisters. Suddenly he cried happily, Look, Jessie, there's a treasure, a wheel! The girls looked where he was pointing, and they saw a big dump with many old bottles and tin cans on it. There were also both wheels and cups. Indeed, there were dishes of all kinds. Oh, Benny, cried Jessie, you saw the treasures first. What would we do without you? Violet ran over to the dump. Here's a white pitcher, Jessie, she cried. Jessie looked at it. It was all right, with only one small crack. Here's a big white cup too, she said happily. Can you use a teapot, Jessie? asked Benny. Yes, indeed, she replied. We can put water in it. I have found two cups and a bowl. Let's look for spoons too. Violet held up what she had found. Five spoons covered with rust. Good, said Jessie. Here's a big kettle. Let's pile all the dishes in it. Then we can carry them back to the box car. Benny had found four wheels just alike and laid them to one side. Now he held up a pink cup. There was a big crack in it, but it had a handle. This will be my pink cup, said Benny. I hope it will hold milk, said Jessie, laughing. It's a beautiful cup, Benny. And then there's a really exciting scene where they wash the dishes. <laughs> it's so,
2: oh man, there's so many things. I mean one the fact that this was before uh, pink was a color gendered to be about for girls this was actually at the time when it was considered for boys so it makes sense that it that Benny would connect to it He's uh, a, another mention of milk because and i love that at this point like milk has become one of their inside jokes
1: right <laughs>
2: among the children like remember the milk
1: yeah that was a good time <laughs> <laughs> There is so much, so many times that they're like, "Oh, like it's dinner time. We're having milk for dinner. Milk and bread are del- are a great dinner." I'm like, "It's it's an okay dinner. It's, <laughs>
2: it's, it's food. Don't sell, don't oversell the milk and bread kids." <laughs> oh man, um, yeah, these kids are. Just, I mean, God bless them. They are so they're so happy to just have what they have. But I'm like, maybe maybe don't be so. So happy, dream bigger, about kids. Dream, yeah, yeah. Let's reach for the stars. Yeah, <laughs> get a vegetable in there.
0: <laughs> well, um, Katie, that brings us to your dramatic reading when they oh when they do get some bigger dreams.
2: Uh, yeah. So this is uh when when the uh the doctor has summoned their grandfather, uh, and the grandfather does not know that Benny is one of his grandkids but he's about to meet him uh and this is when violet got sick uh okay before 10 o'clock a man came to see the doctor mary told him he could wait so he sat down in the living room soon benny came in where is the doctor asked the man crossly he is up in violet's room answered benny this means five thousand dollars to him if he will come down said the man Oh, he can't come now, said Benny. What do you mean, boy, asked the man. What is he doing? He's taking care of my sister Violet, said Benny. She is sick. And you mean he would leave her even if I gave him $5,000, asked the man? Yes, said Benny. That's what I mean. Then the man said, you see, I have lost a little boy, and I think the doctor knows where he is. My little boy is about as old as you are. "'Well, if you don't find him, maybe you can have me,' remarked Benny. "'I like you.' "'You do?' cried the man. "'Come and get in my lap.' Benny climbed into the man's lap. "'Have you got a dog?' he asked. "'No,' said the man. "'He is dead now, but you can see him in my watch. "'Here it is.' Benny looked at the dog. "'He looks like a very good dog,' he said. "'I have a dog, too. "'His name is Watch.' "'Just then, Watch came in with Dr. Moore.' "'Good morning,' said Dr. Moore. "'Benny, you can go and play with watch.' "'Benny ran out, and the man said, "'Dr. Moore, where are my grandchildren?' "'That little boy is one of them,' said Dr. Moore quietly. "'That beautiful little boy?' said the man. "'Yes,' said Dr. Moore. "'They are all good children, but they are afraid of you. "'They are afraid you will find them.' "'How do you know that?' asked the man. "'They have changed their name,' said the doctor. "'He looked at the man in a queer way.' The little boy, or the big boy, changed his name on field day. You saw him then. I saw him. What did he change his name to? Asked the man. Henry James, said the doctor. The running boy, cried the man. <laughs> the boy who won the free-for-all. I like that boy. So I am his grandfather. <laughs> so the lap jumping.
0: <laughs> There's a lot of it.
2: There's a lot of the... Uh, the... St- I didn't I was not aware in nineteen twenty four that that it was just acceptable for men to let young children jump into their laps that aren't their like that as far as they know are not their blood relatives. There's a lot of um there's a lot of weird familiarity to to the kids and the adults in this book. Yeah. But that one stuck out stuck out to me specifically because Because the kid sounding kind of stilted and and odd is one thing, but for all of the people in this book to sound that way is very telling.
1: Yeah, learning that she only used, like, 600 words to make this version of it makes a lot of sense, because, like, the running boy, I like that boy, (laughs) like, is very, yeah, it's very easy reader, so... Mm. Um, I'm going to do a dramatic reading from the second book we did, The Mystery of the Purple Pool, where um essentially the assistant manager Don Parker is giving his I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for your meddling kids speech. So here we go. Uh in her office, Joan Ames read the letter carefully. Then she put it down and shook her head. It's Don's handwriting. No doubt about it. I have to admit, I suspected that he was up to something, but I didn't want to believe it. He always seemed so pleased when it looked as if I had made a mistake. Just then, Mr. Parker walked into his own office, which was right next to Jones. As he went by, she called out, Don, would you come in here for a minute? Yes, he asked, coming in. Jones stood up and said sadly, Of course, you know that a lot of things have been going wrong here. That's been quite obvious, Mr. Parker answered. Well, Joan Ames said, there are going to have to be some changes in management. A smile appeared on Don Parker's face, and he quickly erased it. Yes, he said again. In a strong voice, Joan Ames said, Don, you're fired. Me, he shouted. Me? Why me? Because of this, Ms. Ames said, showing him the letter. Don Parker's face paled. I, I didn't write that, he stuttered. Don, Joan Ames said, it is your handwriting. It's written in the purple pen that you always use. And earlier this morning, I went into your office to get some envelopes, and I saw the phone that belonged in 501. I wondered about it then. Why would you have a guest's phone in your office? That's the Grant's phone, said Benny. Don Parker saw that he had been beaten. "'All right, I did do all those things. "'I wanted your job. "'I can do it better than you do it. "'I know it. "'I deserve it.'" Um, at that moment, Lucille walked into the office, looking nervous but determined. "'I have to talk to you and Mr. Parker,' she said to Miss Ames. "'What's she doing here?' Benny whispered. "'Can it wait?' Joan Ames asked gently. "'No, please. "'It's about my brother, Malcolm,' Lucille began. "'He worked very closely with Mr. Parker.' Mr. Parker fired him last week for no reason at all. Malcolm was wonderful at his job, and there had never been any complaints about him. I think you should rehire him. Ms. Ames turned to Mr. Parker. Why did you fire him, Don? You told me he wasn't efficient. I might as well tell you the truth since I'm leaving anyway, Mr. Parker said. Malcolm was good at his job. Too good. And too smart. I was afraid that he would figure out what I was doing, so I fired him. Don Parker looked around the room. Then he looked at the Aldens. You kids are too smart for your own good. Well, I guess there's nothing else to say. So long, Joan, he said, and left. Cool, cool, cool. I really like how it goes back and forth between referring to them as their first name, Mr. and Ms. their last name, and their full first and last name.
2: I do like how... The most interesting, like, choice in this book is Ames being like, I'm gonna make you think, and then, psych, you're fired. It was actually, <laughs> like, it was actually one of the more clever, and I, I'm being very generous, but in terms of, like, in terms of, like, a character saying something clever instead of just saying, like, a plot point. <laughs>
0: I mean, you know, props to Ms. Ames for getting, you know, working her way up through the glass ceiling to become manager of this fancy hotel. She's going to stay there. Yeah. All right. Let's play some Would You Rather now. All right. I'll ask, would you rather live in a boxcar in the woods or stay at a hotel with a purple pool?
1: Um, I think I said before, and I know I've said before on this podcast that I'm an indoors kid. So, I would rather stay at a hotel with a purple pool. I don't have to go swimming. Um, and if I'm staying at this particular hotel, they will eventually clean the pool up, so I could go swimming in it anyway.
2: Yeah, I'm exact same answer. I definitely want to stay at the hotel because I tend to like not being in the woods for like over over a few hours, I think and i'm not very crafty so if like if you just gave me a box car and then said fill it up with stuff i'd be like i ah. so yeah definitely a hotel mm.
0: i'm i'm going for that box car life it's it's my path toward millennial home ownership excellent the box car
2: well you're going to have to find avocados in the <laughs> wild i don't know if you can find that in the in the new england area
0: uh i could start a container garden <laughs> All right, how about, would you rather forage for blueberries in the woods or eat at a restaurant with switched salt and sugar?
1: I said, I was talking in the document about this, but I actually have eaten at a restaurant with switched salt and sugar. Uh, Renata's roommate and I were at a diner near my house and I had ordered a cup of coffee And I could not figure out why the coffee tasted weird. We both tasted it multiple times trying to figure out what the fuck was wrong with it. And finally, when the waitress came around and I said, I think there's something wrong with this coffee, she sighed and was like, is it salty? And I was like, yeah, it is salty. And apparently some new trainee had accidentally filled all of the sugar cups with salt. And she thought that she had gotten all of them, but she had not. (laughs) And that is the story of how i drank half a cup of salty coffee before it was replaced with good coffee so yeah i definitely will pick a restaurant with switched salt and sugar
2: i feel like if this was a like afternoon of of finding like berries and it was something where where it was an activity like, you know how you can go, like, berry picking and, yeah. like, that could be, like, a thing? If it was, like, an activity where people were like, no, 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 we guarantee you will find berries. It's not like we're going to just send you out into the woods uh, <laughs> to find them if you can. I feel like I could do an afternoon of, of like, berry picking. Uh, I mean, the restaurant's fine, but if I would have to pay for... that's And that's the difference, too. If, I, if it was a comped meal at a restaurant that's switched salt and sugar I can maybe deal with it but if I was going to pay for it myself I'd much rather I'd much rather just do the like an afternoon of berry picking
0: yeah I'm picking the berries I'm taking them back to my boxcar it's gonna be great (laughs) all right and finally would you rather eat bread from a bakery where the owners want to keep you as an indentured servant Or eat at Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, the fictional restaurant from the movie Christian Mingle that only serves steaks and cakes.
2: So I'm I'm from the Midwest, and so I'm just going to assume that Steaks and Cakes is
0: basically just Steak and Shake. No. Uh, I'm also from the Midwest. It is not (laughs) as good as Steak and Shake. It is literally only they have, they only have Steaks and Cakes. There's nothing else on the menu. Only steaks, only cakes.
1: Bring out platters with piles of steaks on it, and then whole cakes afterwards. <laughs> so, as as much as that sounds not appealing at all,
2: it's also like they're not going to try to make me an indentured servant. So I still feel like steaks and cakes, while being not not an an ideal choice, seems like the better option of the two. I don't know how you guys feel, but it, like it had to be really good bread. For, me to, for mm. me to, like, go to that one and have to risk becoming a, an indentured servant.
0: I mean, I do love bread, but Steaks and Cakes is uh, the sponsor of our show. And I love cake even more than bread, because I'm not as virtuous as Henry and Jesse are. So I'm, I'm going to eat a Steaks and Cakes and just eat, eat my cake.
1: Yes, as I agree, I love bread cake more than bread. I, unlike Renata, am a meat eater, so steak is appealing to me as well, and Steaks and Cakes is the beloved sponsor of this podcast, so I also will choose to eat at Steaks and Cakes.
0: And maybe we'll find a mystery to solve there, such as what happened to the rest of your menu? (laughs) All right, great game, everyone. Let's move on to Reader's (laughs) Advisory and suggest some other uh, books to read instead of, or in addition to Boxcar Children. I want to start by noticing, I realized that a through line of books that I really enjoyed as children were books where, like, semi-wild children cook for themselves. So Boxcar Children, of course, I was into, but also... I loved in the secret garden how they would bake potatoes. That was my favorite part of the secret garden was how they would bake potatoes. <laughs> I loved that and I also really loved I, I I loved all of the Anna Green Gables books. But a lot of people don't make it as far as to Rainbow Valley, which is the book all about Anne's children and there's A bunch. They have like infinity children and they like run around the woods and they like (laughs) grill fish on a fire themselves. And I always thought that sounded dope. And then, of course, (laughs) uh, Little House on the Prairie, especially Farmer Boy. Farmer Boy, the most heavy book of the series. So I'd recommend all of those if you just want to read some kids making like very simple, like Pioneer Woman recipes. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and then that led me down the road of also wanting to recommend uh, MasterChef Jr. and Chop Jr. and just like any child cooking show. Uh, apparently, that's something that I'm into, and I've discovered
1: that I, I like oh.
0: children cooking food.
1: We are super into children cooking shows. Mm-hmm. There's Kids Baking Championship on Netflix. That also is pretty amazing, in addition to the ones Renata already mentioned. Um, So I'm going to recommend all the standards of this uh, ghost-written series mystery-solving genre. Babysitter's Club, Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys, which we did episodes on last summer, Uh, should you want to hear more of our thoughts on those series. And uh, just a couple more. uh, The Mysterious Benedict Society, which is a series by Trenton Lee Stewart, which is about orphans and pseudo-orphans who are smart and Uh, smart in different ways, I guess, and use that smart to stop a supervillain from doing bad things. And on the opposite end of the orphan spectrum is The War That Saved My Life by Kimberly Brubaker Bradley, which I believe Renata and I have both talked about.
0: I recommended it as a read-alike for Saddle Club.
1: Yes. uh, As, like, end-of-year bests and worsts. It's really good, and there are orphans in it.
2: My initial pick was, and I mentioned this before, A Series of Unfortunate Events by uh, technically Lemony Snicket. I know that's his not his actual name. Uh, but in terms of taking the ideas of the boscar Kids and essentially going, like, here are these clever orphans who know how to get themselves, like, are very self-reliant and know how to get themselves in out of situations... But instead of like everything working out for them, it's constantly everything is terrible for them. So it is it's I would be shocked if uh, if they weren't written to be kind of a reaction to stuff like the boxcar children. Uh, So if you need something a little more cynical and and a little more uh, critical of the tropes, that's good. Uh, I'm also going to, again, I I mentioned this very briefly, but Power Pack, uh, the Mm -hmm. Marvel comic series from the 1980s by Louise Simonson, and uh, the artist was June Brigman. And they've also had more recent stuff. But in terms of, I mean, I'm not saying they're the exact same children, but, oh, my gosh, they are very similar. And except that instead of getting, like, a rich... their Their parents are alive, and instead of getting, like, a rich uncle, they all get superpowers, and they become, like these adorable very optimistic uh kids with superpowers who just go and they like they cross over with like wolverine and with the x-men a lot uh they cross over with a lot of a lot of darker uh superheroes in the marvel universe but it's still very much the golly gee we're like we're in an adventure now i guess we gotta go like stop the universe from ending uh so if, if you enjoy that like how chipper these kids are and how like milk toast and sweet they are the power pack is is kind of like that but with superpowers
0: cool so uh power pack another thing we've previously recommended on the show has our stamp of approval um we will have all of these and some other ones up on our website worstbestsellers.com and now we will move on to our candy pairing where we uh pair a candy with this book
1: I went with Werther's Original for my candy pairing, because while it might have been very fancy in old-timey times, now it's not much different than every other, like, caramel on the market.
2: So, uh, mine were those satellite wafers, that were basically, like, two communion wafers, but with, like, candy beads inside, and they're technically candy, but they don't taste like anything, but if, like, that was the only thing that your grandparents had, that's what you had for, like, a, a sugary snack. Uh, alternatively, uh, I also picked candy cigarettes. <laughs> same, same concept.
0: My candy pairing is bread, because bread <laughs> is healthy for young, growing children. All right, uh, now we're going to play The Rock, Paper, Snicked, which is, of course, the game where Kate says who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, And I say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Katie will choose which of these most enhances the book, or she can choose paper, which is to leave the book as is.
1: All right. We went with the first book uh, for this particular round of Rock, Paper, Snipped. Uh, So if Dwayne the Rock Johnson were in this book, he would be a friend of Dr. Moore, who is the doctor who Henry works for in the first book. And he'd notice suddenly that Dr. Moore had these kids doing all the hard labor around his house for him, and when Dr. Moore laughingly explained that they were poor orphans living in a boxcar in the woods, he'd be horrified that Dr. Moore let this situation continue without assisting them. He'd intervene and let the kids sleep in real beds and feed them actual meals... And eventually he'd figure out that they were Mr. Alden's grandkids. But he'd respect their wishes and make sure that he that Mr. Alden wasn't a bad dude before slowly introducing them to him and convincing them that he's nice.
0: All right. Well, if Wolverine were in this book, he would be living in a sadness cave in the woods near the boxcar. And at first, he would be annoyed by the presence of these loud, weird children in the woods. But he would be kind of intrigued and would, you know, really respect the way that they cone Married their boxcar. And he would uh, catch a rabbit and give it to the children, who, of course, would be perfectly able to field dress it and make a delicious stew out of it. And as he got to know them, Wolverine would respect their desire to never be found by their grandfather, because Wolverine also does not want to be found by any grandfathers. And he would give them some cool survival tips and help them out uh, so that they could stay in their tiny boxcar house forever, if they wanted.
2: Okay. So I'm going to just say, leaving it as is is not an option. Because (laughs) this book is flawed. Uh, I feel like like Wolverine gets the win, specifically because he has a well-known... He has a well known reputation for becoming friends with children. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, and and becoming mentors. And also again, I, I mentioned the Power Pack and they have definitely been fr- they've definitely become friends with Wolverine multiple times. And maybe I feel like maybe he'd set them up on a play date actually. Yeah, I feel like maybe he would set them up with like with like the X Men or like the new mutants or something. Um but uh yeah, I feel like I feel like he would as begrudgingly as he would to get involved with their lives i think he would secretly be very into helping these kids because that is logan's way
0: agreed well thanks for playing rock paper snick the game where everyone wins all right uh now what do we think the moral of
1: the story is I would say the moral of the story is Who needs video games, school, or parents If you have a rich grandpa Who lets you solve mysteries
2: Mine is Bakers will force you into child slavery And assistant hotel managers are evil But besides that, all other adults Are kind and trustworthy
0: Mine is Millennials can't buy boxcars Because they're too lazy to go pick avocados For a dollar a day from the strange doctor's yard <laughs> Really good guys okay uh next up duarte's corner where my cat duarte of course gives his opinions on the books Duarte, I'm I'm impressed that you did your research. Uh, It's true. One of the most recent boxcar children books is called The Celebrity Cat Caper. And you're right. We should have read that one instead. And you're also right that they probably are infringing on your likeness. And they absolutely should have gotten permission from you first.
2: I'm just impressed that there was a boxcar kids book out in 2016. Multiples. Oh, man.
0: (laughs)
1: Yeah, and I appreciate that you think that a cat would be a better pet for them than watch the dog, but I just don't think that it would necessarily work with the story the same way that a dog would, and plus, like, you know you don't want to see them cut all the fur off of one side of a cat. Like, why would you put a cat through that? Think this through, Dorte. Mm -hmm. Good point.
0: All right, well, thanks again, Dorte. We always, always love hearing your thoughts. And now, do any humans have any closing thoughts regarding The Boxcar Children? I mean, my closing thoughts are, uh, anything past book one is bullshit. Boxcar life forever. Mystery is never. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I mean... Yeah, it, it's so hard to... Because this is such a strange book series. Just how, how vastly different the first book is from from the rest of the series. Uh, But it does feel like it's such a hit of nostalgia, especially for me as, like, as someone who read, again, like, I'm pretty sure one, like, a version of the book that came out in, like, 1950, when I was originally reading this as a kid, so.
1: Yeah, I have am mystery solving life as usual so (laughs) screw the first book let them solve mysteries forever
0: well that is what's happening so (laughs) you win All right. uh, so if you have enjoyed listening to this podcast and you're not already acquainted with us elsewhere on the internet you can like us on Facebook you can follow us on Twitter where we're worst bestseller with no S at the end because we let Benny pick our Twitter name and he is illiterate and so it's, he honestly did better than we thought he would. Uh, we, we also have a Goodreads group. Uh, the easiest way to find most of this stuff is actually if you just go to our website, worstbestsellers.com.
1: You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, or Google Play. Uh, If you do subscribe to us on any of those services, we'd love it if you could rate and review our podcast. When you rate and review us, it pops us up a little bit in the charts and makes it easier for people to find us. If you don't rate and review us, we're going to tell these boxcar kids that there's a mystery at your house and you'll have four annoying kids poking into (laughs) all of your affairs and you don't want that. You could also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worst bestsellers where you can pledge a small recurring monthly donation which will go towards making the podcast better. We can buy new equipment and do things like hire an artist to create a logo for Rock Paper Snicked which we just did uh, and you get perks for Uh, supporting us there as well we have a newsletter we have discounts on merchandise it's all very exciting
0: and then one of those perks is you can get a shout out on this very podcast like nora gets right now nora thanks so much for supporting our patreon we really appreciate it and you're great all right i guess that's all i have to say about that (laughs) um if you want to follow me personally on twitter i'm at renata snacks
1: and if you want to follow me personally on Twitter, I'm at fourteen across.
0: Uh, and then my
2: Twitter is at just plain tweets. Uh, and then in terms of my general plugging, uh, I have a comic out right now called Moonlighters, which is an all ages werewolf comic. It is—I like to think it's very cute. That's how I'm promoting it. <laughs> uh, and it is—and it's uh, like I said, it's all ages. Uh, you can get it on Amazon or Comixology. Uh, and uh, issue three should be out uh, mid July. So you have you can read one and two right now. Uh, my website is katiechenkel dot uh, where you can kind of find information about the other stuff I'm doing. My Patreon is patreon.com slash just plain something, and I also am on a couple other podcasts right now. I'm on uh, Crystal Clods, which is kind of a sub podcast of L Collins's Into It. We talk about uh Steven Universe whenever Steven Universe is on. And then I uh have a podcast with Chris Haley called Supergirl Gap where we indeed talk about the Supergirl TV show
0: and related media. I keep meaning to start watching Supergirl and then after I do then I can listen to a podcast about it. That sounds just about right.
2: We started uh we were doing the recaps for season 2 when Comics Alliance was a thing and then Comics uh. Alliance Ended, so Chris and I decided uh, to at least do podcast finishing up uh, season two, which was a few episodes, and then uh, this summer, we are doing a few more subsequent related media. We just did a th- two or three part episode on the Supergirl movie from the 1980s because we had that much to say about that movie.
0: Nice. So,
2: <laughs> so you can look forward to that like Right now and throughout probably all of July.
0: One one last plug I'll do t- on behalf of Katie and tangentially to my own interests is Katie mentioned uh, upcoming her book uh, uh, *Cardboard Kingdom*, which is illustrated by Chad Sell. And if you yes. have listened to this podcast, you know that I love RuPaul's Drag Race, and Chad Sell also does amazing Drag Race like fan art and prints. And like I have a framed Chad Sell Drag Race print in my office. So this is a, a very uh, unique collision of things that I'm interested in, and I just you, wanted to highlight it. <laughs>
2: yeah, I the, bless his uh, his work on Drag Race because every time I mention that that's who's drawing it, everybody gets super excited. So there's going to be a good amount of Drag Race fans. I think they're going to read this book. <laughs> uh, it's out next. It's out next year. It is. I've I've read the book cover to cover now because we're officially done. The uh, it's through Knopf, so not, it's now basically in their hands <laughs> for the next year. Uh, but it's gorgeous. Uh, if you're a fan of Chad's uh, drag race uh, art, it's, it's a it's a departure from it, but it's still very much in like, it's absolutely gorgeous because he's so talented. and, uh, and I'm very excited uh, to be all for it to almost come out. It's been uh, a two year process. Uh, as of now so by the time it comes out it Will be three years of us all working On this book together so
0: <laughs> It's exciting but it's, it's still
2: It's still a little while away
0: Alright well keep, keep it on your radar everyone I'm excited to read it And uh, thank you again Katie For joining us we really enjoyed talking to you About the Boxcar Children It was really great thanks for having me uh, We will be back in two weeks Our flashback summer continues With The Face on the Milk Carton By Carolyn B. Cooney All right, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Boys running without their hats, boys jumping, boys throwing rings, boys swimming, boys vaulting with a long pole.